Hey, hi, hello, welcome back to Hollywood Party. I'm glad you could make it. I was originally planning on getting to know someone completely different, but switched it when I saw so many comments about one of the stories I shared at Kay Thompson's party. So today we'll be getting to know Vivian Vance. And I can't do her without doing William Frawley. So don't poop out at this party, grab a drink and let's go. Okay, so since we're doing two people this time, I'm gonna structure it like this. Vivian until I love Lucy, then William until I love Lucy, then I'll do them together, and then after the show, separately again. I hope that makes sense. Vivian Roberta Vance was born July 26, 1909 in Cherryvale, Kansas. She was the second of six children born to Euphemia May Reagan and Robert Andrew Jones Sr. Her mom was super religious, which gave Vivian a deep sense of insecurity. She was a super perfectionist, so any kind of failure was super devastating to her. One of her childhood friends was Louise Brooks. When Vivian was six years old, the family moved to Independence, Kansas, and she started studying drama in high school. Of course, her mom did not approve of this. She ended up changing her last name to Vance for Vance Randolph. It was like some guy from her local theater that she not necessarily like liked, but respected. 1928 was a big year for her. She married Joseph Shearer Danick Jr. That only lasted for a year, so not much to say about old Joseph. Then she moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. She performed in the very first play at the Little Theater. That's like the playhouse in their town. They still have like exhibits about her to this day. It was a, she's a big deal there. Her friends that worked on the plays with her knew she was good and wanted to get her to New York City, but they also knew she did not have any money. So they all arranged a benefit raise money for her to move. That is why she always refers to Albuquerque as her hometown, even though it's technically not. When she arrived in New York City, she said, I found I wasn't as good as my friends thought I was, but of course I couldn't go back. When she did go back for a visit, she was met at the train station with a brass band and decided that when she went back to New York City, she had to pay her dues, like go to casting agents and do stupid auditions for a place she really didn't want to do, just she had to get her knocks. In the beginning, she was cast for her looks and the papers called her the Albuquerque bombshell. I know most of us know her by how she looked in her 40s, but when she was not in her 40s, like most people, she was super cute. She would sing in some nightclubs as well. And during this point, she could have run into William Frawley because he was also on Broadway at this time, but there's nothing to suggest that they met prior to 1951. So we all know that Vivian got her role in Hooray For What by sleeping with three different people in that play, including Edwin, which is super mega gross. Vivian's obituary says that she replaced Kay Thompson at the last minute. I mean, that's technically right. So the reason why Vivian was really pissed about being Kay Thompson's understudy was because Kay Thompson was a nobody at that point, and Vivian had just been the understudy for Ethel Merman, who was gigantic on Broadway. After she took 
her role in Hooray for What, she does get to actually act with Ethel Merman in a Cole Porter musical called Red Hot and Blue. In 1933, she married George Koch. He was a dance band violinist who was not hot, kind of stout, very reserved, and Jewish. So I'm sure her mother was thrilled. Besides all of that, it wasn't even for love, it was for economic security. I wonder if George was aware of that. Anyways, she's on Broadway at the same time as Desi Arnaz is down the street doing Too Many Girls. Apparently, everyone hung out in different crowds because there are so many people who could have met at this time that end up working together years later. While Vivian is working on the play Kiss the Boys Goodbye, it's a satire about David O. Selznick's search to find Scarlett O'Hara, Vivian meets Phil Ober. And if you know your I Love Lucy, you'll know that he plays Dory Sherry when they're in Hollywood. Anyways, they're both married awesome. Phil even has a daughter. His wife thought something is going on between these two, so she hires three private eyes to check it out. Obviously, they end up getting divorced because, yeah, <laughs> something is going on, and Phil and Viv get married in 1941. Vivian worked on a ton of different kinds of plays. She said, I just kept working at everything in every spot I could find. I got plenty of experience, and you know, it all comes in handy. So she, Lucy, and Desi kind of all had the same thought process regarding learning. Like they were just happy to have a job because they knew they were gonna learn something they didn't know beforehand. During World War II, she went to work to entertain the troops in North Africa and Italy. When she came home, she had a nervous breakdown. In actuality, her mental health had started getting pretty bad during Hooray for What. She said she was constantly exhausted yet sleeping for 10 hours a day. Vivian said, you can't conquer fear until you've learned what it is you're afraid of. I had passed 35 before I realized that one can no more neglect chronic unhappiness than one can neglect an infected tooth. If misery, like a tooth, is left too long to fester, the infection spreads and deepens. This is what happened to me. So basically, she was a ticking mental health time bomb. Obviously, the doctors didn't believe her because it's the 40s. They said, you're fine or it's in your head, so just take some B12 vitamins. And this is not the B12 that Dr. Feelgood was giving. This was like legit B12 that doesn't do jack. Well, it does something. It's just not as good as amphetamines. But she didn't push it with the doctors because she didn't want to be a burden. She ends up doing this play called The Voice of the Turtle and her understudy, Patricia Neal, had to take over when Vivian has a legit breakdown on New Year's Eve. It took her over a year to be able to start working again. In 1951, Mel Ferrer asked her to do the voice of the turtle again in La Jolla, California. This was a good thing on many fronts. She got over her fear of acting again because she thought, if I'm going to do this play again, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown again. No, she was fine. And this is the play that Desi Arnaz comes, sees her, and signs her for the role she's known for, Ethel Mertz. Okay, we're switching to William Clement Frawley, who was born February 26, 1887, in Burlington, Iowa, with a full head of golden curls. He was also the second child of Michael A. Frawley and Mary E. Brady. Michael was a prominent real estate and insurance salesman. His dad ended up dying kind of early, like he was 49 years old, so mom Mary took over. She was extremely Catholic, and similar to Vivian's mom, did not want her kids to go on the stage, except Mary was much more of a hard ass about it. She made William take a court reporting job in Chicago, that didn't really take, then he became a clerk for the Union Pacific Railroad in Omaha. This is how Bill said that he entered show business. One night, I was with a bunch of fellows in a little cafe on the south side of Chicago, and we started singing our repertory of old railroad favorites. Pretty soon, a stranger came up to me and said, with a voice like mine, he thought I should be in show business. And I thought, it was a gag at first, but he left me his card. Bill landed a spot in the chorus of a play. 
His brother was told to bring him home because mom didn't like it. He also gave Bill a note from their mom that said, I'd rather see you dead and would willingly plant flowers on your grave than watch you wreck your life as an actor. Super healthy. He went back to the railroad for one year because his mom pressured him to do it. Then he and his brother left to join vaudeville. Bill sang and Paul played piano. When they returned to Burlington for an acting job, their mom was waiting in the audience and started sobbing and carrying on until they promised to quit acting for good. Gee, I wonder where Bill's problem with women stemmed from. Could it possibly have been his mom? We'll probably never know. They totally did not stop acting. Bill wrote a show called Fun in a Vaudeville Agency and got paid $580 for it. After that, his mom just totally gave up on him. Paul went to college because he was pressured by mommy and he did sing in the Glee Club and because he was more attractive than Bill, he made it to Broadway first. In 1910, Paul was singing in the Midnight Follies for Ziegfeld. Then he worked in a lot of major plays in the 1920s and fizzled out by the 30s. Bill worked in the Denver vaudeville circuit. Then he did four years in San Francisco. I'm sure not being on the Great White Way like his brother was super annoying, but vaudeville is how Bill learned how to read an audience and hone his ability to rattle off one-liners, which he even says that made his career in the 50s on I Love Lucy. There is a little bit of controversy surrounding Bill at this time. I mean, it's not like Vivian Vance, he's not banging three people. He claims that he was the first singer of Caroline in the Morning and My Melancholy Baby. The last one being the like drunkard's anthem and considering that Bill was a major booze hound by this point, it is fitting. He was probably the first one to sing Carolina in the Morning on the Road. The other song, Bill said that he sang at the Mozart Cafe and journalist Gene Fowler and Damon Runyon were there. So, I mean, let's go with it. He is credited as being the first one. And for that era, Bill does have a really nice singing voice. As a matter of fact, he released an album in 1958 called Bill Frawley Sings the Old Ones. It is an entire LP. I put the whole thing up on my blog for your listening pleasure. And it's not bad. Much better than Rock Hudson's album. He briefly had a partner named Franz Rath. Then in 1914, he married his new partner, Edna Louise Broth. This is what he said of Edna. My wife read, she had red hair, and I did a song and dance act in vaudeville. We called ourselves Frawley and Louise, and it was a pretty good act, but the marriage wasn't so good. How long can you tolerate women? The answer for him was seven years, because that's how long it took for them to separate. They were kind of similar to Burns and Allen, except Edna was the straight one and Bill was the funny one, and they played all of the big spots, like they did the Orpheum Circuit, the Palace, they were kind of a big deal. Edna left Bill in 1921, they divorced in 1927, and then she like disappeared. That is, until 1960, when Bill was on This Your Life. She came out as a mystery guest and Bill was pissed. He hated her guts. And the next day at work, he was doing My Three Sons at this point. He was so mad. Anywho, Edna and Bill never remarried anyone else. And she passed away in 1987 at 94 years old. His film debut was in 1916 with his wife. It was a film called Persistent Percival. In 1921, he moves to New York and he gets his first success in 1925 with this play called Mary Mary. Since he doesn't have mom or wife holding him back and it's the 1920s in New York, he really starts becoming a raging alcoholic. This is how his day would go. Breakfast, three to four gin fizzes, 11 a.m., two Bloody Marys, lunch, two highballs, then bourbon, and before dinner, two martinis. I would be dead. 
How did he even live as long as he did? By this point in time, he's already in his like late 30s, early 40s, and is morphing into the grumpy loudmouth that we all know, and like most old grumpy dudes, uses a lot of casual racist terms. Like, it's noted multiple times in biographies on him that he liked to use a lot of slurs. And just like his TV personality, all he wants to do is hang out with baseball players or boxers. That's it. He's not care about anybody else. Bill was in the stage production of 20th Century, and when it was made into a movie with Carol Lombard, everyone thought he was totally gonna reprise his role because he'd done a really good job. Well, let's rewind back to 1915, when a song plugger knocks on Bill's dressing room door to sell him a song. Bill says, hey, I don't do business in my dressing room, it's like my home. Just hang out with the other guys and I'll be with you in a bit. He was actually really polite. This guy, still does not like this exchange. 20 years later, there is a knock on Bill's dressing room door again, and it's that same guy. And he asked Bill if he knew who he was. And Bill says, yeah, I do. The guy says, I just bought 20th Century for Columbia, and I came backstage just to tell you, you're not gonna be in that picture. That dude was Harry effing Cohen. And I can't even hate on him for that because I bet that felt freaking amazing. Harry Cohen is such a major douche, but for some reason I cannot help enjoying these stories of him. There's something wrong with that, but I can't help it. Bill ends up signing a standard seven-year contract at Paramount when he was 46 years old. He was never a leading man because he was bald, <laughs> like, forever. But he said this of his movie career, the money was great and you had a ball. I played 96 pictures, maybe one or two were good ones. By the end of the 40s, Bill had a hard time finding roles, which is why he approached Desi Arnaz about being on I Love Lucy. Philip Morris was the show's sponsor and they were really hesitant to hire Bill because he had a reputation as a drunk. And it was an accurate reputation because he was a drunk. So Desi said, look, I wanna give you a chance, but if you miss more than three days, that's it amigo. Bill never missed work except for two days because the Yankees were in the World Series, but that was written into his contract. Like if the Yankees go to the World Series, I can not be at work. So technically he didn't miss any days. So good job. So the characters Fred and Ethel were named for an Indianapolis couple who lived down the street from the writer Marilyn Pugh. Fred was originally supposed to be Gail Gordon, who was in every Lucy show after I Love Lucy. B. Benedurette was supposed to play Ethel, but she turned it down because she was supposed to be on the Burns and Allen show. You definitely know who she was because she went on to be the voice of Betty Rubble, so she did okay for herself. Mary Wicks was also an option, but she and Lucy were real life BFFs and she was afraid that working together that much would mess up their friendship. When the cast got together to do the premiere party for the first show, Vivian's husband, Phil, was the only person who was not at the taping. So he was literally the only person laughing when the show premiered. Obviously, he wasn't actually the only one laughing because that show was a gigantic hit. By the end of the second season, Bill and Vivian were making $2,000 an episode, which is $20,000 in 2020 money, which is still kind of a ripoff, but whatever. So everyone always asks, did Bill and Vivian get along? Look, they were not hanging out together outside of work, but most accounts say that they were really cordial while working together. I mean, we all have people we work with that we can't stand, but we have to be nice just to get through the day. There were times when Jess Oppenheimer had to step in and mediate, but that was not the norm. It's too bad that they didn't get along better because Bill and Vivian had a lot in common. They both had uber-religious moms. They really weren't a major success until they acted together. 
I mean, honestly, without each other, they would have just been less than a footnote in some like TCM trivia book. Vivian didn't love playing Ethel Mertz because in real life, she thought of herself as a glamour girl and Ethel Mertz was not. Plus, she didn't like being paired up with an old fart, in her opinion. I think the real thing that really pissed Vivian off about Bill is that he didn't seem to be acting when he was playing Fred. And what really chapped her ass was he wasn't working, in her mind, and yet he was still everyone's favorite character. Bill was the fan favorite, for sure. I mean, who doesn't think of him when you wear your pants right underneath your tits. I always think of him that way. Vivian was the one who ended up winning an Emmy for her role in 1954, whereas Bill was nominated five times, but never won. When Vivian married Phil, he was the bigger star. Now it's flipped and she is like a gigantic supernova compared to him. And surprise, surprise, he's kind of a dick about it. He wouldn't even allow her to display her Emmy in her own home. They ended up divorcing in 1959 and Phil accused her of being a lesbian and then sued her for divorce because of cruelty. This is what the judge said to Phil in divorce court, quote, it might be that I'm very naive, but if there was ever a case of killing the goose that laid the golden egg, this is it. What a polite way of saying you're a jackass. Even though Bill and Vivian were the fan favorites, they were still treated like B-listers in Hollywood because one, it's TV and it's the 50s. Two, they weren't the stars of the show. So when I Love Lucy was winding down, Desi knew what was up, like he knew they were the popular ones and he offered Bill and Vivian a spinoff. Vivian declined, so Desi's like, I'm gonna give you a $50,000 signing bonus. Like, let's do this. No, she really just did not wanna work with someone who she didn't think was actually working again. I kind of want to go visit the parallel universe where that spinoff exists because I'm sure it's pretty damn good. After I Love Lucy, Bill filmed multiple pilots that just didn't find a spot on TV. That seemed to happen a lot at Desi Lou. Desi was forever making pilots that just never took off. Desi even had Vivian do one called Guest Word Ho. It's based on this book by Patrick Dennis, the same guy who did Anti-Mame. Vivian was so paralyzed by not acting with Lucy that they had to reshoot the pilot and they put someone else in there. In 1960, Bill started working on My Three Sons and he loved it over there because it was pretty much all dudes. He was even really friendly with the little boys on set. His character, Bub, used to do all the cooking for the family, so he started getting fan letters from people asking for recipes for certain dishes. He potentially had a stroke during the filming of this movie called Safe at Home, and then he started having tremors, so he had to quit My Three Sons in the 1964-65 season. He had heart, kidney, and prostate issues, so He's kind of a mess. He hired a male nurse to care for him, and his final screen appearance was a cameo on The Lucy Show. On March 3rd, 1966, he went to see a movie on Hollywood Boulevard with his nurse when he had a heart attack. The nurse carried him into the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, where he passed away at 79. So definitely think about that when you're at TCM Film Fest next time. He is buried with a marker at the San Fernando Mission Cemetery. Interesting side note, all of his siblings and father have a marker. His mother does not. I think we can figure that one out. Bill was in vaudeville Broadway film. Like, damn, he has 133 acting credits, so you cannot say this guy wasn't hustling his whole life and was in the most famous TV show of all time. Like, for someone who wasn't technically a star, wow. 
He was always working on something. After I Love Lucy ended, Viv said, I kept as busy as possible. There was a special reason for this. I had to find my own identity. I was so submerged in Ethel Mertz that I was afraid I would never again be recognized for my own self. But being a creative person, I was worried that I would be stuck doing the same role all my life. She purposely chose roles that were who she wanted to be, a highbrow New Yorker. Audience kind of had a hard time seeing her as anything other than Ethel Mertz. She does end up getting married one last time to a literary agent named John Dodd, who was 12 years her junior. This was his first marriage, and they love throwing like anti-mame style parties with all the great literary wits of New York. By all accounts, they really did love each other, but after Viv died, John was known to have relationships with men. He ended up dying in like 1987, and it's not listed how he died, so we can put the puzzle pieces together on that one. Vivian did the bi-coastal thing, working on The Lucy Show, and by 1965, she was over it, and she told Lucy, I just can't do it full-time anymore. There was definitely a fallout for a few years over this, and it seems the bi-coastal excuse wasn't the full story. You could never be better than Lucy, and that kind of took a toll on Vivian. I get it. So in addition to doing like summer stock and a bunch of little plays just to keep herself busy, she became the co-chair at Operation Friendship. It's a volunteer program for mental health. And when she was working on Candid Camera in 1960, she like was pretending to be a salesperson at a lingerie counter when this guy walks in, asked to buy a nightgown, and she said, oh, well, it's occasion. And the guy starts crying. And he said, well, it's for my wife. She's in a mental hospital. Vivian ordered the cameras to stop rolling and she she told the man to ask his wife if she would like to talk to someone who had been sick too and was well now. She really enjoyed working to promote mental health, which is so ahead of her time. Vivian said, whenever my sisters sigh about the glamorous life I lead, I remind them what it cost. After all, I'm the one who had the crack up. In 1973, Vivian was diagnosed with breast cancer and had a mastectomy, but apparently not all the cancer was removed. In 1977, she had a stroke and half of her face was paralyzed. Then the cancer spread to her bones. She passed away August 17th, 1979 at the age of 70. Lucy did see her before she passed away and they had a really nice afternoon. Ironically, People Magazine just ran an article about this last week, so I will link that in my blog. She was cremated and her ashes were scattered. So the question is, would we want to party with Vivian and or Bill? Lucy Arnaz said Vivian was like the cool aunt, and that is definitely the vibe I get from her. Like very willing to give advice, super friendly, up for anything. She even did like a fake burlesque dance on the Joan Rivers show, so I think she'd be a really fun addition to a party. Bill was an alcoholic, but <laughs> damn, like every single person we've gotten to know has been an alcoholic or worse, so that's not really a deal breaker for us. I honestly didn't read anything about him going to parties. He would go to the Friars Club, but that was kind of because it had to do with the fact that it had cheap food. I honestly think he wouldn't even come to a party. Like he'd much rather be at a baseball game or having drinks at Nicodell's, but he is worth inviting. I am not opposed to him coming. Best case scenario, I could see him pushing someone out of the way so he could start singing one of his like turn of the century songs. Hopefully it was worth me changing gears so that we could learn about these two. I mean, we've done all four of the I Love Lucy characters now, so I'll wrap that up in a nice bow. I will be back in two weeks with a much, 
much longer party. For more information about this episode, head over to hollywoodpartypodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. If you like this show, tell every single person you know, like and subscribe on Apple, leave a review, it's free and it's super nice to do, or listen to us on Spotify or Anchor or however you're listening to us right now. See you next week. Thank you.